0: This is Jeff Chrisman, and I'm on the Living Arts of Tulsa podcast this afternoon. I'm very glad and also very grateful to be visiting today with Roy Boney Jr. Roy, thanks so much for taking the time with me.
1: Yeah, glad to do it. Yeah,
0: I thought what we would do is, uh, and of course, before we start the conversation, I do want to honor the work that you are doing, uh, not only uh, with you know with your artwork, but also with the Cherokee language, and you know to your taking part in the uh, the exhibit at Living Arts currently, the Speak, Speak While You Can. So I wanted to start out and not only speak to the artist, but also the human being. And so what I want to do is just ask you in your own words what your your artwork and what your work with the Cherokee language means to you.
1: Okay. Um, well, uh, to begin, you know, it's uh, my artwork and the language work, they're kind of They are just intertwined. It's hard to separate the two. I've been doing art as long as I can remember, but I also grew up in a Cherokee-speaking family. And so, you know, as a child, I didn't think that much about that. I just assumed that's just the way it was. And as I got older, you know, I started seeing people pass away and the language, you know, started fading from daily use and so I don't hear it as much as I used to as a kid. And so when I... Went to uh, you know college and everything. I got out and I started working for Cherokee Nation. Uh, you know, I ended up in the language program there, and so I initially was hired to, to make books and animations and things like that in the Cherokee language for our immersion school. And uh, again, that tied my interest in art to the language and culture. And so I've continued that thread to this day. I'm still, you know, I still work uh, for the tribe in the language department, and I also do art. Every day, you know, I still try to make this this art and this statement about uh, injecting the language and culture into my art and uh, you know I was always I was raised in Locust Grove so in that town you know the artist everyone knows is Bill Glass Jr. Uh, who is Cherokee and the other artist of George Stone who who is claimed to be Cherokee but wasn't Cherokee but those two are towering figures in the community so everyone pointed to them as you can make good art in oklahoma
0: oh yeah and I, I appreciate that and i didn't know if i was if i'm actually seeing some of your work behind you not to put you on the spot at all but uh wasn't sure if if, if some of that is your work there
1: yeah i'm here in my studio so that's oh, what you okay. see back there various stuff yeah. in progress some new stuff some old stuff i didn't finish you know that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then I was going to ask as well, just maybe just to hear just a little bit in terms of uh, when I read about you, uh, I didn't want to assume anything. So I thought I would ask you, you know, to focus a little bit, uh, just kind of to focus first on your artwork, maybe just to share with listeners and viewers just a little bit about your artistic perspective and just a little bit about the kinds of work that you do, just in terms okay. of, you know, what mediums. and.
1: Yeah, well, I... My background is actually in design and illustration and animation and that, that type of thing. Mm. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I, you know, I've been drawing as long as I can remember. Uh, it's always been part of who I am. I used to draw uh, pictures in the school and sell them to my classmates and draw comics and sell them to my classmates. And then uh, when I went to uh, college as, as an undergrad, I started doing online comics and started building a fan base. Uh, and then I ended up getting some publishing contracts, doing comics and graphic novels and stuff for a while. So I did the whole convention circuit for a bit, you know, going to San Diego Comic-Con and stuff like that, doing book signings and all that That whole world. Uh, so that, that type of style and influence comes through into my artwork in the sense that uh, I use a lot of Cherokee imagery, a lot of Cherokee history and culture and language in my artwork. But I, it's, it's influenced by this visual language of this pop culture kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I was going to ask about that. I didn't know if there was an intersect, you know, kind of understanding the intersection between, you know, pop culture and also the, you know, the Cherokee influences in your art as well. Uh, I didn't know if there's been anything that has changed the way you look, you know, the way you look at, as far as at, at the traditions and, and also just at what your experience is as someone who is part of the Cherokee Nation, just as a result of, of working within some of those, of those electronic mediums.
1: Yeah, well, as a kid, uh, you know, I, you know, I like I keep saying, I was always drawing. So I always had teachers and, you know, mentors saying you should follow this path, you know. And they would point to, you know, Native American art. And back when I was a kid, that was, you know, like in the 80s and early 90s, there was uh, a lot of it was a lot of stereotypical kind of touristy art, I guess you would call it yeah you know a lot of that you know a lot of artists worked in that vein because that's what sold to the collectors and things you know but it never spoke a lot to me as an artist you know i was like and especially as a Cherokee person i'm like that doesn't reflect any part of my life or what i see where i'm with my family or anything it just didn't feel Cherokee to me even though some of these people might have been working Cherokee artists but they were producing things that would sell that were based like in the southwest style and things and so, you know, they had to do that to make a living, you know, but so I have the luxury now with uh, the development of Native art, Oklahoma, especially, you know, a lot of these uh, tribes like uh, Cherokees and Creeks and Chickasaws, you know, we're starting to reclaim a lot of our imagery and forming this southeastern style of Native art, uh, this, this movement in a sense is based in Oklahoma, because we're all tribes that came from the southeastern United States on the Tears removal. So our homelands are in the Southeast, so that's why I call it the Southeast, but we have that flair and we brought it to Oklahoma, so we're starting to reclaim who we are and developing this new visual language.
0: Yeah, that's, and, I, and, I was, and, that's, and I was going to ask as well, uh, just as far as the, the language itself, are you, are you finding that there is a, uh, a resurgence or a, is as far as more attention being paid to that by people who maybe did not, didn't grow up? actually
1: speaking the language? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, you know, I worked for the tribe in the language department. I've been there for about 14 years now. And in that time, you know, we've seen this, we're gradually losing our first language Cherokee speakers. You know, these are people who grew up speaking Cherokee as their first language. Uh, they're hitting retirement age and older now. Uh, so, some of them passing away, you know, and all this. So, our, our that that blanket that we had a security blanket of Cherokee speakers is not as strong as it used to be. So, what's happened is people that didn't grow up with the language or had no connection at all are seeing that that happening. So, everyone's kind of hit this moment where they're like, "We got to do something." So, if we don't do anything, you know, within the next generation, we're going to have a whole generation of people who spoke Cherokee who are no longer here. But we're going to have another new generation coming up that, that's learning Cherokee as a second language. So we're in this transition period now. So we're trying to, you know, work with our first language speakers to ensure that their knowledge is passed on to us. Because, like for like me, you know, I'm 41 now, and I mentioned I grew up in a family Cherokee speakers. But everyone in my generation, for the most part, we didn't pick up the language. We're not fluent in it like our parents and grandparents were. So that generational break as far we're trying to repair. And uh, we have a lot of tri- tribal language programs happening within Cherokee Nation. That uh, we have an immersion school. We have an adult immersion program. We have online classes. And well before COVID, we had in-person classes too. Uh, and we have the technology aspect. So we work with these companies to make sure that our language can be used on an iPad or a laptop or whatever it is so we can communicate using the syllabary, which you know, is a written form of the language that Sequoia invented.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool, and I was going to ask as well if uh, in terms of looking at the language you know against the backdrop of this uh, you know the world where there is all this technology and it seems like every day things are are, are changing and evolving, uh, I was going to ask in some sense, as someone who has spoken this the language all your life, do you find that in some way that uh, for people who are and there again, I don't know if, if people have shared this with you, but I'm wondering if this has helped people in some ways. To see the the, you know this ever this very fast-paced world changing so quickly do you find that this allows people or even have you found that you see this differently you know through the lens of of speak of speaking the cherokee language
1: yeah yeah as i mentioned yeah we work with these uh, companies like apple and google and everyone microsoft to make sure that the silver rays embedded into the software itself so uh, when you see, you know, we work with translators at Cherokee Nation who are, you know, first language speakers, who, you know, know this language inside and out, and someone like me that's still learning it, you know. So we work closely with them to explain what, what is a download, what does that mean, that kind of stuff. So when we, we did this process to make sure that the technology supported the language. Uh, at first, there was some resistance. You know, some in the community said, "We don't need this. It's it's a tool that I mean, we don't see a lot of reason for it for us." Because this generation, they said, "We learned it without having that kind of stuff." But they grew up in the homes where that was the first language that was spoken all the time. Now that doesn't exist for the most part. There are very few places you can go where Cherokee is the primary language of the home. Hmm. So you have tools like an iPhone or Android or whatever. And if you have the ability to text, you know, someone in the language like your grandmother or your father or whoever, and they can respond back into it, it's, it's very empowering. And so when we first did this and Apple, Apple was the first one to kind of get on board with, with this. And I remember uh, it was back in 2009, I think, when they first released the software upgrade to the phones that installed Cherokee on it. And when the people first seen it, they were really like just kind of taken aback. They looked at the screen and saw the Cherokee uh, characters on the keyboard and you know our translators, I remember one of them, Anna, she kind of gasped that she never imagined that she was putting <laughs> Cherokee language or something like that. And so we began to see uh, this uh, gap between uh, like the grandparents generation and the grandchildren. They began communicating with each other through these devices. They would text, uh, oh yeah. And so in in between the parent the parental generation are the ones that that's where the break occurred. So they're getting swept up between these two other generations. So it's getting interwoven with all three generations again. And so we're yeah. really stages of this nice you know revitalization. And we've got a long ways to go, but it's very hopeful now. I mean, you know, for a while there we were in well all the languages are endangered or indigenous languages are endangered in Oklahoma. So we're not out of the woods yet, but it's nice to see something like that happen where you see this ray of hope.
0: Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, too, that's so cool to hear about the fact that people, you know, people who were, you know, are somewhat older that maybe were hesitant to use these electronic devices or maybe use them as much that, you know, being able to utilize this, you know, in their native language makes them more likely to want to embrace these devices or to, to be willing to use them to stay more connected with, with other, you know, with family members and, and friends and people in the community. Yeah, yeah. And then I was going to ask as well, just to shift gears a little bit, uh, just to hear a little bit about your involvement, uh, you know, with the speak uh, speak while you can exhibit at Living Arts. Just to hear a little bit of background on how you got involved with that, and if you want to share also in terms of uh, uh, you know what your your participation is in that exhibition.
1: Okay. Oh, I'll jump back a few years here. (laughs) uh, You know, Tony Tiger and Bobby Martin are the co-curators. So uh, I first got to know Bobby Martin because, you know, I live in Telequa and he's from Telequa. And when I finished grad school, you know, I was in that in-between state where you're looking for something to do. (laughs) And uh, he actually hired me to work for him at NSU because he was the director of the art program there. Oh, okay. And so I worked yeah. for him. I taught uh, multimedia design there at the university, and that's kind of how I got to know him. I kind of knew him a little before that because I was in some native art shows in Telequa in the, the region. Uh, but so, you know, he and I go quite a ways back now. That was back in the early 2000s. And uh, ever since then, you know, we've, we've become friends, and, you know, then we, I met Tony Tyke a little bit later. And we were active members of the Southeastern Indian Artists Association, which is a nonprofit group here in Telequa. Huh? It used to be the Cherokee Artists Association, but we morphed and became the Southeastern Indian Artists Association because we wanted to open up to more tribes. Oh and yeah. So when we started doing that, we started hosting small shows in the area, doing all these exhibits. And then Bobby and Tony did this, this really large scale traveling exhibit called uh, Return from Exile several years ago and with that you know it, it allowed us to travel across the United States with this exhibit we went to various uh, events where we talked about our work and, there, and then we ended up going to England to talk about it I mean it had this, oh, it had this wow. huge flash of, for the yeah. yeah so working with Tony and Bobby on that, you know, they've done some more shows since, and they, they typically ask me to participate in things. And in between all this, you know, I've done some writing for uh, First American Art Magazine, uh, which is a, a magazine published by a Turkey artist and editor. Uh, she's based in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, so this magazine is about uh, indigenous arts and is written by indigenous people. So I've written several articles and interviews and things for this magazine. So from that, they, Bobby and Tony realized, you know, maybe I could do some writing for them at some point. And so when this show came along, uh, you know, Tony pitched the idea. And I said, yeah, I'd love to be in a show. And then he says, well, can you write the exhibit essay too? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. And, uh, you know, so working in the our tribal language program, you know, I... I work with a lot of other tribes too, you know, we meet and so I knew quite a lot of other uh, people in travel and in other tribes working in language and a lot of them actually are artists too. It seems to be this interesting overlap. There's a lot of language advocates and artists yeah. that are the same person. So I knew a lot of these people so we could tap into that and we got a lot of these people to translate sections of this essay into various languages. So it all all, it all came together. So I was very honored to have been asked to to do this and participate in the show.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, oh yeah, and I was going to ask as well, just uh, in terms of, uh, you know, as far as feedback, just any interesting feedback that you maybe have heard, maybe not, you know, not for this exhibit, but possibly other exhibits that you've been in, and just in terms of how this has helped people who maybe did not really understand a lot about these languages, just in terms of them getting more of an appreciation for what, you know, the deeper meaning of this
1: and just, yeah. you know, be
0: able to understand how important it is in these communities.
1: Yeah, I think doing this kind of work, uh, when you meet people that uh, aren't engaged in any kind of tribal affairs at all, they they forget, you know, that Oklahoma is Indian Territory, and that there's a reason why there's so many tribes here, and there's a very rich history and culture that's here that we brought with us from where we were removed from to, to Indian Territory. And then when you talk to them about the challenges of trying to reclaim our language and revitalize our languages—they, you see, the light go off in their head that well, that's true. We, we're, we we live in this state that has a huge amount of cultures all in one—you know—all these in this border, this boundaries here, and a lot of people don't think about how rich that is, on how that enriches the state itself. And so we get a lot of people that get really pumped up and excited about, like, how can we help you all do this too? Even though if they, some of them might not even be a member of a tribe or anything, but they're still, you know, we want to engage in this battle with you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Are there, and just, I guess, and I was going to ask as well, not to put you on the spot, but if there is anyone out there that's watching or listening, uh, if, they do, if they are interested in getting involved in some way, uh, you know, even if they're not a member of, of one of the nations, I didn't know if there are if anything or if there's anything you could speak to as far as opportunities for that, or maybe we're, you know people who might, they might get in touch with to, to find out more about that.
1: Yeah, well, most of the tribes do have a uh, language program, you know, and they usually have a staff member that there they could you get them in touch for someone at that particular tribe, and then like for us uh, with Cherokee Nation. Uh, we have a tribal language program, and we offer quite a lot of materials. So if you go to Church Nation website, there's a language section. And on that section, you will find the contact info for all the different departments and the managers and all that. You'll find information on all these online classes. We, we do a lot of classes uh, uh, online currently. And we've been doing online classes for like almost 20 years now. But especially with COVID, we've really done a lot more of them. And we also have a partnership with Roger State University, where we do a Cherokee language class online for college credit, and they broadcast those videos on their TV station as well. Oh, Um, yeah. So, if you're interested in Cherokee, there's lots of avenues for that. And in addition to that, you know, there are three federally recognized Cherokee tribes: there's the Cherokee Nation, the United Two Band of Cherokee Indians, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians who are in North Carolina. All three of these tribes, we get together quarterly and talk about language matters, and this is led by some first language speakers of Cherokee, so they translate new words and review curricula for schools and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's. I really appreciate that, and, I, and I am, uh, I'm just so glad that you've taken the time to, uh, to share a little bit about your work, and as, as, as well as your art, and uh, your involvement in this exhibit, and it sounds like this is something that you have been involved you know, in these efforts for some time now, and uh, really do honor the work that you're doing with that
1: yeah well, i appreciate it like i said it's been an interesting journey i i honestly didn't intend to even go down this path <laughs> you <laughs> know when i when i first you know when i was a kid you know my goal was to uh draw comics and get into the animation and that kind of thing so i kind of made, you know indian art you know <laughs> and so i i pursued that pretty heavily and got into some you know publications and things and have worked on some animations and things over the years. But I keep getting drawn back to the tribe. And, you know, one of the values that we have as uh, tribal people is, you know, to help your community to go back and give what you can. So a lot of this, you know, uh, it's because partially, you know, one, uh, it's for my family, you know, like I said, my father, you know, he's a First Language Cherokee speaker. Uh, you know, I have aunts and uncles, grandparents, you know, they, some of them have passed on, but they, they all spoke Cherokee. So I want to honor that legacy and do what I can to make sure that we don't lose it. So that's what's inspired me to, you know, get into this these efforts. And I've been fortunate that I've been able to tie my interest in the arts into all of this. And so, yeah,
0: that's, that. I was going to say that's so beautiful. And it's, and, and it's so heartening to hear that, you know, that you have really fused, you know, the, you know these things together. Uh, in terms of your artwork and your work with the language and, and also, you know, the work with the community. So I really, I appreciate you taking the time today. And it's been, it's been wonderful getting a chance to meet you and hear, you know, hear from you in your own words about your work as well. Thank you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you.